Good morning and welcome to Mother's Day at Rock Bible Church. We're a Christ-centered, biblically-based, compelling, casual community. We're compelling ourselves and others to Christ in casual ways that welcome all to worship, be in a community that serves the greater community. Amen? Amen. And we love our moms. We do, don't we? We uh, have ushers coming down right now with Bibles, pens, outlines, prayer request cards. If you want to, any of those, get their attention and they'll hand them to you. Um, just a quick announcement. I, I shan't be uh, shaking hands or hugging anybody today. I have a, a, not a good cold and I don't want to give it to anybody. So I'm not snubbing you. I just want to protect you from that which I am afflicted with. It's a... Uh, it's not been fun, um, and hence the deeper voice this morning. All right, Matthew chapter 9, uh, we're going to get into uh, our continuing series in the book of Matthew, and we'll do that right after we pray. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for our moms. Thanks, Lord, for chocolate-covered strawberries, and they're pretty good, but nothing is as good as mom's. I thank you for my mom. I thank you that all of us are appreciating them today. That would be a great day for them. Uh, But, Lord, in this time, in our next 45 minutes or so, Lord, I pray that you would be the focus. I pray, Lord, that we'd see the great parts of our moms in how we see you and that we would see you uh, clearly. And so, Father, be with us as we uh, talk through your word, read your word. And enjoy it together, and I pray you would teach us and and mold us uh, into who you've called us to be. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus has uh, done the the Sermon on the Mount, uh, chapters 5, 6, 7, and then it says that he left there. He goes across uh, Sea of Galilee in a boat, and we get the him calming the storm, and him, him falling asleep before that, and the disciples, and then he runs into some demons, and a whole bunch of stuff uh, goes on. It's a great chapter. It's on the website. You can go back and, and um, catch up on it there if you want. Chapter 9, he's been gone enough for the crowds to dissipate back where he was on the on the the what they would probably think of as the normal side of Sea of Galilee, where Israel was and and whatnot. And uh, Jesus is going to head back. So uh, chapter 9, verse 1 says, In getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Uh, So he's left uh, the Gerasene area across the lake. He's gotten in the boat. He's come back to uh, Capernaum. doesn't say Capernaum, uh, but if it's calling it his own city... Um, then we would kind of have to look at some other places in Scripture and realize he's back in Capernaum uh, because of things like Mark chapter 2, verse 1, where it says, and it was reported that he was in Capernaum at his home. Uh, So he's back to where he left. He was in Capernaum at his mother-in-law's house and came back to his mother-in-law's house. It wasn't his mother-in-law's house, uh, Peter's mother-in-law's house, which he's been staying which is why we should value mother-in-laws, right? Jesus did. So there you go. A uh, little fun one, but he's back in Capernaum. Uh, verse 2, And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Now, 
what do you know if you didn't read any farther and you just thought, here's Jesus, he's back at Peter's mother-in-law's house. He had left there because the crowds were too great, because he had been healing people and everybody was coming. They hear he's back and the first thing that happens is here comes a paralytic. What do you think is going to happen? Okay, if you're Jesus or you're following this as a Christian, you're thinking, oh, this paralytic, good for him, he's in luck. Jesus is going to heal him. If you're just an average guy, what are you thinking when a paralytic shows up? What do I do? Hopeless. This is beyond me. Um, I, I want us to make sure we're clear on the severity of what's going on here before Jesus solves it with the snap of a finger. Uh, fascinating um, there's a great little thing going on right now with the new Avengers movie that's out. You got all these Marvel superheroes, and uh, they've combined them all into one movie. And they've come up with a villain. Oh, they come up with him. They've they've taken him from the old comics. This villain who's supposed to be uh, enough to take on all of the superheroes and maybe win. And uh, without giving anything away. It's this one villain against all the Marvel superheroes. And he's trying to get to a place where he has enough power that at the snap of a finger, he could do anything he wanted. And I thought, oh, that's awesome and hilarious because that's Jesus and he already has that kind of power and he doesn't have to wait for it and he's good. It's like the antithesis of the whole movie, but I'm a nerd and that's the way I see things. Uh, and there, and there's, there's a snap of the finger in the movie, but I can't tell you about it because I'm, I'm not a spoiler. I'm just not, okay? Uh, but if paralytic shows up, that, that's a big problem. Uh, and he hasn't handled this one yet. He's dealt with sickness. He's dealt with demons and the whole thing. He hasn't dealt with a paralytic yet. Here comes the paralytic. Now, I want you to see the next phrase. And when Jesus saw... If a paralytic walks up with his buddies, walks up, that was not a pun. <laughs> if the paralytic walks up, there's a problem, right? Uh, when he sees the guys bringing the paralytic, when it says right after that, and, and when Jesus saw, we would assume that he's going to see what? What's the obvious thing when four guys walk up with a paralytic? What is the first thing you see? You see the paralytic. Watch this. Jesus sees something else first, something more important, something of greater value, greater weight. And when Jesus saw there, what? Faith. Folks, I hope that your experience with Rock Bible Church changes the way you read Scripture so that you, when you read, uh, never have the quick read-over verse to get to the real story. Because for some of us, for me for sure, in my past, I'd read over that, oh, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, okay, we're getting to the paralytic. I said, no, he saw their faith. Jesus has been talking about faith for quite a bit. In fact, when they wake him up out of the boat because he's asleep and the storms, they think they're gonna die. They don't realize that waking up Jesus is a bigger storm than the one they're in. He wakes up, and the first thing he says, 
No, he says, why are you so afraid? That was the title of the sermon, folks. Okay, there's a test at the end of the month. That's it. Uh, second thing he says is, oh, you of little faith. Faith seems to be top of the priority list for Jesus. And I love that when the paralytic is brought to him, the first thing that he sees is faith. Because what it tells us is faith is the utmost importance, outranks, outweighs, and is a bigger problem than being paralyzed. How cool is that? It also kind of implies that Jesus knows at the snap of a finger and probably without even having to snap his fingers. He could solve the paralytic thing. His bigger questions are about what's our faith. Uh, It's a great little dynamic that goes on before any words are said. But he sees uh, their faith. um, And I want to note, well, we'll come back to this, okay? Remind me if I don't come back to something and say, no, we're coming back to, then you say, wait, weren't we supposed to come back to that? Okay, because I don't want to ruin the progression right now. So he says to the paralytic, he, he saw their faith, but he is going to address the paralytic. So it's not like he dismissed him either, right? Faith was most important, but paralytic is the need of the moment. He says, take heart, my son, you may walk. Is that what he says? Isn't that what we want him to say? Isn't that what we expect him to say? Jesus comes back to his town and here comes a paralytic. I'm thinking, let's have him walk. That's what's on the agenda. Jesus says, no, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Wow, we're talking about faith. We're talking about sins forgiven. Has paralytic have become third on the priority list? Faith outranks it. Uh, Sin and forgiveness outrank it. In fact, if we split those up, that's two and three. Now paralytic's fourth on the priority list. I wonder if for the guy, what's his name? Doesn't even say. I wonder for that guy, let's call him Fred. I wonder if for Fred, paralytic was higher on the list. My buddy's got to carry me around everywhere I go. And I live in a culture where everybody thinks I'm unclean. In fact, most people won't carry me anywhere because they think there's something wrong with me and they don't want it to rub off on them. Great statement about the faith of the four guys. I'm just assuming it's four. It doesn't say four here, but it kind of implies it in another passage. Okay? Uh, he says, your sins are forgiven. And now I'm wondering if Jesus is paying attention or if I've missed something. If you ever ask yourself that question, that's set. Is Jesus paying attention or have I missed something? Which one is it? Don't use our normal answer. You've missed something. It's not both. He don't miss nothing. Okay, that's a theological statement. He don't miss nothing, right? Because uh, theology should be able to be um, simplified down into street language. Otherwise, it's of very little value. Uh, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. This man is crazy. El está loco, right? He doesn't know what he's doing. What? Forgiving sins? No, 
They're probably thinking uh, he said that because he couldn't do nothing about the paralytic. Right? But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, man, there's a sermon. Knew their thoughts. Knows your thoughts. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> what are your thoughts? <laughs> right? That's another sermon for another time. He says to them, why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? That's a series, folks. That's not just a sermon. That's a series right there. What's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise and walk? For all of you, I know which one's easier. Sins are forgiven. Why? Because you can't check it. There's no way to prove it. But if you say, rise and walk, and they lay there, what's happened? You've been proven a charlatan, a liar, a cheat, a snake oil salesman. That's kind of how they're thinking about Jesus right now. And Jesus is having fun. I know it may imply that he is a little angry, or you know maybe the temperature's rising a little bit, I'm not sure there might be a smirk on his face because he knows what's coming. If it were me, okay, praise the Lord that I'm not Jesus, amen? If it were me, I'd be having fun right now. You know me, I like to have fun. Oh, you guys are thinking evil. You think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven than rise and walk. Oh, yeah, yeah, because we can't prove it. You think I'm afraid of rise and walk? Watch this. Verse 4, top of your outline. Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, and following, a seat at the table. We're going to get to the table in a minute. But here's the verse at the top. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, right, which is easier to say, verse 6, but that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. That's a verse, folks. I memorized that verse over a decade ago because I think that verse changes the game in everything. Uh, let's go back. It's split between two screens for us, but if we go back to the beginning and look at this, but that you may know what's important to God? Us knowing. God wants us to know. Do you, have you figured this out? He's not hiding. He's making himself known. Why? So that we can know. Right? Now, there are specific things that he wants us to know. Most of them, the best ones, are about him. The more we figure out about him, the better we understand ourselves. We get ourselves second. Right? We also learn about our neighbor through that process. But he says, but so that you may know that the Son of Man... What's he calling himself? He's calling himself God. He's calling himself Messiah. Has authority. Who's in charge? And where? On earth. Folks, when does heaven start? Ask the paralytic. Great question. When does heaven start? Who could you ask? I'm betting... When the paralytic gets up and walks, 
he's got a different answer than his Sunday school teacher taught him. Many of us think that uh, forgiveness of sins happens when we die so that we can get our insurance card that uh, allows us entrance into the park. It's like a ticket to Disneyland. Disneyland starts now, folks. Heaven starts now. It started that day for them. But Jesus shows up on the scene, the beginning of Matthew. One of the very first things he says is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Folks, this is important because I walk downtown, I walk through the cities, I walk through schools, I walk around people in our culture today, and they're missing the kingdom. They're missing heaven. They're missing an opportunity at prayer, at forgiveness, at uh, the release of shame or guilt. Uh, They're missing out on things working, getting sense, knowing How many things are there to know? There's so many. There's more than I know. You know, I don't know all there is to know. It just keeps going. There's so many people that aren't on that track at all. It was made apparent to me this week. I had to deal with some people outside the church. Sad lost perspective skewed attacking defending goofy we have an opportunity at that and that is why i love this verse but you so that you may know that the son of man has the authority on earth now to what forgive sins sin is not the end forgive outranks sin and if that's true then what do i need to know about forgive where does it come from how big is it what does it cover do i earn it is it free how can i understand it better my favorite part of this verse not in the verse And I I still remember when it first popped into me when I first got it over a decade ago. But, But that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And we're quite a ways from the cross already. He has yet to die on the cross. And now I got a problem. Because people say that he died on the cross for my sins. Really? Tell the paralytic that. I love this verse because Jesus' range just blew away my understanding. I thought that the cross was the whole deal. We need to make a fancy one, stain it, backlight it, plug it in, put it on the wall because that's, no, Jesus outranks the cross, amen? I love the fact that he's forgiven sins before he died for us. And now I got to ask different questions about the cross. Wait a minute, if he's forgiven sin before the cross, then why the cross? Spin on that one for a couple decades. It has messed with my understanding with God, of God in a great way. Because now the cross is proving his power, keeping his promise, paying for sin, 
showing his love, and many, many more things. I just gave you four right there. Fulfillment of scripture was keeping a promise, right? Same kind of thing. Uh, love this. Now, I only gave you that one verse at the top of your outline, which I thought was ironic and funny. Why? Because <laughs> it doesn't say what happens. If you just do the one verse, it doesn't say what happened. Please don't ever do one verse. Don't ever do one verse. Zero of the books of the Bible are one verse long. All of the books of the Bible have more than one verse. They have a setting. They have commands. They have promises. They have responses. They have questions. They have fallout. There's before, there's after, there's during. We got to love verses above and beyond just the verse. Amen? Because I'm dying to know what happens next. Not as much as the paralyzed guy was. And he rose, verse 7, and he rose and went home. I'm going to have a little fun. This is Rock Bible fun, fun time. Of those two verses, which one's better? And he rose and went home. Which one's better? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins, I say to you, pick up your bed and go home. Good verse. Is the second one better? And he rose and went home. Which one do you like better? Both. It's Rock Bible Church fun time, folks. Why are you making me pick one, Scott? They're both great, aren't they? They have different implications. But we see the fulfillment in verse 7 of the beautiful promise and, and entity that is God in, in verse 6. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. The Bible's full of understatements, folks. They're freaking out. Not just because he made a paralytic stand up and walk home, but how did he set it up? Your sins are forgiven. Oh, that's blasphemy. Oh, really? Let me prove it. Get up. He gets up. Uh, do we have to go back and rethink the whole blasphemy thing? Do we maybe need to take son of man title seriously? And if it's not blasphemy and he is son of man, do we take forgiveness of sin statement promise seriously? The whole game just changed for them. Absolutely, they're scared. They're petrified. They're running for the hills. They're hiding behind trees. And they glorified God, who had given such authority to what? Men. Wait, shouldn't it say given such authority to son of men? Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. No, how, why men? I think maybe because they're still trying to figure it out. This isn't Jesus saying this. This is Matthew commenting on how did the crowd respond. And they're all saying, did you see what that guy did? Wait, is he a guy? I don't know, but some authority. I know he's at least a man. And there was some serious authority. Nothing like we've ever seen. What is going on? It's a great, great scene. And Jesus passed on from there. He moves on. Love that. Forgive a little sin. Paralytic's going to walk. Yeah, I got other stuff to do. 
this was important, but it was simple and easy for him. And he wants to do more. He passed on from there. He saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Wait, do you know what just happened right there? What book are we in, folks? Oh, Matthew's writing about Matthew now. It doesn't happen very often. Shouldn't it say, and he saw me sitting at a tax booth? Why would Matthew say, and he saw Matthew sitting at a tax booth? Maybe he didn't write it. Or maybe he's trying to draw attention to Jesus and not himself. If he had a ghostwriter sitting there writing it for him as he's dictating or he wrote it himself, uh, I think the point is we're trying to have Jesus be the focus of these stories. And yeah, it's Matthew's book, but let me tell you about Jesus. He said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. There's some awesome, awesome parallelism parallelism that just happened there. Why don't you look at the top of the slide, verse 7. And he rose and went home. The paralytic got better. It goes to Matthew, says, hey, follow me. And we get uh, end of verse 9. And he rose and followed him. Same sentence structure, the whole thing. What's it implying about Matthew? This is when he got healed. Whatever was paralyzed in Matthew's life is getting fixed because Jesus saw him, called him, and he responded to it. How great is that? And then Jesus reclined at the table in the house. Verse 10, here comes the seat at the table, folks. Uh, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were, were what? They were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Who got seats at the table, folks? The worst. Amen. Where's my seat? The worst get seats? I want a seat at the table too. And they're reclined, not just sitting, not around the table, not on the periphery of the table, not standing next to the table, reclining, which means they were valued guests. The worst can be valued guests. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Isn't that a great question? Almost, almost name the sermon today, questions. Because there's amazing questions in this passage, right? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or rise and walk? Hey, why does your master sit with the tax collectors and the sinners? Why are they reclining? Why has he made them valued, honored guests? They're the worst of the worst. We're Pharisees. Kind of really what they're asking is, where's my seat? Verse 12. But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. <coughs> Apologies. 
uh, love that he says, go and learn what this means. I got stuck on that one this week. Go and learn what this means. Here's what I took from it. Sometimes what we need to know about God is more than just instantaneous. It's more than just Scott said it in a sermon. It's more than just I read the verse and boom, the light bulb goes off. I get it. Now I can post and blog about it. I would submit that the greatest, some of the best things about your relationship with the Lord are things that you had to go and learn what it meant. And I think that's true. I could never, ever tell you about missions. Never. Why? Because you ain't been. And if you had been, I couldn't tell you nothing about missions. Why? You did it. You were there. And I talk about it. I joke about, hey, you know, it's the most amazing thing to take a key and hand it to somebody and say, here's your house. Boy, that feels good. When I say that from stage right now with you holding the key up in the air, doesn't that sound like really cool? Oh, what would that like to be like to be there? And you know, here's the deal. You have no idea until you actually do it. And there's something about going and learning what it means. My, um, my oldest turned 18. He is a senior in high school. He shan't be high schooler much more than another couple weeks. I am freaking out. <laughs> I am trying to go and learn what it means, right? There's all this weird stuff going on. I have an adult in my house other than my spouse, which means there's two adults in the house now. <laughs> We're catching that? Okay. Um, uh, the school has all these amazing ways of celebrating our kids. Ceremonies, baccalaureates, you know, breakfasts, grad night, da da da. With all of that comes paperwork and website links and sign here and write this check and fill that out and by this date you need this picture turned in. Wait, pictures? My wife and I have spent several nights this last week going through old laptops and files that we've not opened in ages. You know, uh, the iPhoto is that what holds the pictures in? Max, uh, I'm looking through that. I never looked through that. I'm going back and looking for pictures of my kid to submit to the school so we can honor him on that day. And in the midst of that, I'm seeing a bunch of other pictures. And I got to a Mexico trip. And a bunch of little things. You know, some goofball with the screw gun and people with their hats half off and people throwing things at each other and smiling and eating tacos and the whole thing. And then we got to this one scene, people standing around, and there it was, one of our people, Kim Phipps, with the key out like that, and the lady reaching, and her hand's right there, and I lost it. Folks, there's something wrong with me. I'm sitting at my laptop, welling up, because I had gone and learned what it meant. There are things about our relationship with our Lord that have to be gone to and dealt with and spun on and experimented with and prayed about, worshiped around. 
And then even after 10 years, a decade of messing with it, you're still feeling like you're getting revelations about it. Verse six, for me. Amen? Can you get God in an instant with a prayer? Absolutely. Will you fully understand what it means in that moment? Absolutely not. I need a God who's much bigger than that and takes a while to take in. Don't we? Jesus says, work on it. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Mercy means regardless of your position, you're helping someone else. Sacrifice means, oh, I want to make myself better by giving something up. Who are you working on in sacrifice? Yourself. Because you think you're of value. In mercy, you're working on someone else because they're of value. Amen? That's a little bit of what I've come up with in my going and learning about what that phrase means. I will tell you no more about it because Jesus commanded you to go and learn what it means. All right? Beyond just me. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, let's have some fun. Uh, there's a great, great question um, that I think is my first response in reading this passage. Uh, because in verse 6, it talks about that uh, Jesus' statement about, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority. He says that uh, to forgive sins. And then in verse 6 and 7, the kind of the combination, he says, in order to prove my authority, I'm going to say something else, and it's going to happen. Rise and walk. And then verse 7 he rose and he went home. It proves authority. And then uh, verse uh, 8 is when the men, the crowd, watching, they were afraid because God had given such authority to men. It begs the question, what authority can you give him beyond your expectations? Expect God's authority to be, uh, be beyond your expectations. I've had things that I swore by, foundational, core value things that I held on for a really long time to, only to have God come and say, that's a sound effect implying we're going to tweak that, we're going to twist that, we're going to change your understanding of it. You're too wound up or you're too liberal about it, you're too forgiving or you're not righteous enough about it, whatever. And what authority will you give me, Scott? I've been scared to death of theology for most of my life because I always believed there were really, really smart people out there with much better ideas and more study. I finally had to give that up. God wants to be known. He wants me to know him and he makes it knowable. And it is amazing to learn from other people, but it's just as important to learn for yourself. I stole this from teachers I've met in the Pleasanton School District. They have this phrase that they use. They want to be lifelong, what? Pam? Lifelong learners. I want to be a lifelong learner as to who God is. And what is his authority? 
And how have I limited it with my expectations? These four guys, I say four, I guess, these, these guys walk in thinking that Jesus had more authority than their expectations. And I told you I would come back to it. And have yet to find out what this quite means in its entirety. But when he walks up with the paralytic, it doesn't say, and he saw the paralytic. It says he saw faith. And as I read that, I thought to myself, shouldn't it say, and he saw his faith, the paralytic. And it doesn't. It says he saw their third person plural, meaning the guy's. And something about seeing the guy's faith brings forgiveness of sin to a paralytic who thought paralyzed was maybe the highest priority. It is fascinating to me how much is going on in that scenario. Their faith saved him? Whoa. Only Jesus can forgive sins. Amen? Your relationship with the Lord is just between you and him. Amen? Someone else's relationship with the Lord is just between them and God? What if God saw your faith about them that they actually got to forgiveness of sin? What did paralytic do to get forgiveness? My expectation, my whole life is that, yes, God did all of the forgiveness stuff and he did it on the cross and there is nothing that I can do to affect my salvation or somebody else's. And then I read that passage. What did paralytic do? Was there a response? No. Was there an ask? There's no request. There's no question from the paralytic. He shows up. Maybe he didn't even want to go. Doesn't say. It said other people carried him there by his free will or against it. Doesn't say. Doesn't seem to be important. Matthew doesn't need to write it down. And Jesus seeing the boy's faith. You, paralytic, you're in a much better place now. Sins are forgiven. You've got great friends. You've got a better God. I'm him. But there's knuckleheads here who can affect you negatively as well. And I need to prove something to them. So you're going to get up, pick up your mat, which is what it's called in a different passage, and go home. But the good news is now we know a paralytic's name. His name was Matt. Pastor humor, I have to do so many once in a while to keep with my quota, okay? But uh, what authority can you give him beyond your expectations? How can you expand your expectations of what God has authority over and then experience it, enjoy it, watch him come through, uh, and then be prepared for him to change the, the list, the order in which he deals with it in your life? Because you might think he's going to deal with paralyzed first, but he deals with sin first. He comes back around and solves paralyzed, but he did it a different order than you wanted him to. Uh, he did it in the right order, by the way. Amen? That's one. Two, the sick talk to themselves, to the disciples or the physician. 
verse 3, verse 11, and then you've got to go backwards to verse 10 to get this idea. He says, I didn't come, I didn't come for the healthy. I came for the sick. The beginning of the story, uh, the scribes said to themselves, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, they're talking to themselves. They shouldn't be. Who should they be talking to? The physician. Later, he gets the tax gatherers and the sinners, and he sits them down, reclines them at table because they're valuable to him. And the Pharisees say to his disciples, they start talking to the disciples. Who should they be talking to? The physician. You can miss the point. You can talk about Jesus without talking to Jesus. The question is not whether we're sick. The question is which voices are you listening to? Which ones are you asking for? And the guys that talked to the physician got well. Uh, They got a seat at the table. Amen to that. Lastly, uh, who do you eat with? This is, this is kind of a generic, what are you doing question? Like what's going on? What are you prioritizing? Maybe, maybe I'm getting old. Well, actually I have to take the maybe out. I'm getting old. Life is changing. Priorities, I want to restructure them. I'm starting to notice that most of the good parts of life revolve around a meal. There are many good meals out there. And that's, that's when you sit with people. Maybe you provide for them or they provide for you. It's where conversation happens. For fun, sometime, go through the Bible and figure out how many meals are referenced in the Bible. It's all over the place. Who do you hang out with? Who are you talking to? What is your faith? When God sees them, what does he see in your faith about them that you eat with, that you talk with, that you hang out with for a few hours, that you help with a project, that you give a ride, whatever? that you pray for? Who are your withs? This is a tremendous passage about the idea of being with. One of the greatest passages about heaven talks about a banqueting table. And he brought me to his banqueting table. It's kind of a fun song. I can't quite remember what, how it goes because I don't remember music. Praise the Lord. Uh, but it's, it's this idea that uh, we're, gonna, we're eventually going to get to sit with him. We're going to get to recline at table with him. But if heaven starts now, if he has the authority on earth to forgive sins now before the cross, who can we start sitting with now? Who can we recline with at table that we have faith about that God could infect, affect, and have an effect. That they might be in a better place. It's a great idea. I want to thank you guys for letting us go to men's retreat.
340-something guys. Uh, it was a zoo. The speaker got up, and, and the best commentary of that weekend, he said, I, I spent a little time with you guys, and I called my wife. I said, honey, you remember Star Wars? The bar scene where Han Solo walks in, and there's every kind of animal in the universe, and it's a little bit scary. I found it. It's this men's retreat. I have to tell you this story. At the end of the retreat, before we have our last lunch and everybody goes home, we finish our last session, everybody hikes up to the pool, and guys that want to get baptized get baptized. It's a cool opportunity. Uh, And they were baptizing a bunch of different guys, all of them great stories, all of them worth telling. I'm only telling you one. One guy gets in, he's middle-aged, uh, and he, he's, he's obviously getting in the pool to be baptized, and he's walking up to Mark about ready. And Mark says, hey, why are you here? And he's, he's starting to explain, well, it's time for me to be baptized. I've waited too long. And, and here comes this old guy through the crowd, fully clothed, jumps straight into the pool, Dress shirt, belt, shoes, pants, the whole thing, old guy. He can't get there fast enough. And Mark's kind of like, what's going on? And, and the guy's getting teared up. And, he's like, and Mark is like, hey, hey, what's going on? Old guy says, this is my son. If he's getting baptized, I ain't missing it. Because I've been praying for him for 40 years to be baptized. I'm starting to lose it. Mark says, this is awesome. This is amazing. Why don't you help me baptize him? You stand there, okay. Hey, who is it that you put your faith and trust in for your salvation, right? You're starting to go into the ceremony. And all of a sudden, you see this teenage kid running down the poolside. He's tearing his shirt off. He's pulling his pants off down to his skibbies. And he jumps in the pool. And Mark's like, wait, wait, what's going on here? That's my dad. If he's getting baptized, I'm not missing it. Grandpa and son watched the dad, who'd been prayed for for 40 years by his father, get baptized in the pool. Soon as he's dunked, the grandson, the, the child, says, I'm getting, I'm getting baptized too. Everybody move around? Okay, I might turn. <laughs> baptized father, son, right there. And seeing their faith. Wow. That's why we're here. Amen? Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, what tables and what seats should we be sitting at? What faith could we show? Pray, Lord, you would help us. uh, Rather than thinking about the great banqueting table in the end, after we die in heaven, we would be, Lord, focusing as much on the tables that we could be at, the seats we could occupy, and the faith we could have for those around us. And praise you, God, for our limitations, that we have shortcomings and holes, and we're only half the product at best. I thank you for those around us that complete us, that uh, fill the places where we're lacking. 
Help us to recognize it, honor it. Most of all, see you in it. May it grow our faith, Lord. And then, Lord, may we go and learn what it means. We thank you for all this. And we thank you for the offering that we're about to receive. Pray you would bless it all. In your son's name we pray. Amen.